You're listening to sermon audio from Providence Baptist Church. Be sure to check out pbcfrankfort.org for more information. If you have a Bible, if you turn to Hebrews chapter 11. Hebrews 11, we're going to be looking at verses 39 and 40 today and looking back at some other places in Hebrews 11 as well. And then there will be some other scriptures that I'll be utilizing today also as we get ready for our time in the Lord's Supper. Um, We're talking about faith that gives, kind of part two from last week. And uh, one of the things that mentioned last week was that we we give of our faith that we have in Christ and we give of that uh, back even to him in the way in which we live. He then gives us a greater return, a greater reward. We saw that in Hebrews eleven six, the very first week. Without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. And we've talked about in these weeks that we've already received quite a bit of the reward. We've received the presence of Jesus. We've received the truth of his word. We've received the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. We've, we've received grace and, and faith and that has led us to salvation. Last week, uh, we looked a little bit about this, that the, some of these heroes of this faith looked to a, another reward that was coming to them, they knew, which was the heavenly country when we talked about this world not being our home. But ultimately, the greatest reward that we have is Jesus. Nothing else. Hebrews eleven thirty nine and 40, if you want to follow along with me, says this. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. The writer says all of these, and some, refer, some believe this refers to all of the heroes of faith, both named and unnamed, in chapter 11, and, and he's making the reference to them. There are others who believe it's a specific reference to the persons or the examples in verses 32 through 38, and I, I tend to lean that he's using all of these to describe all of these persons in chapter 11. Uh, Because I see verse 39 and 40 as being sort of a bookend statement, if you will, of the argument he has made in chapter 11. Because we see in chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, where we were the very first week, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen, for by it the people of old received their commendation. It's a very specific uh, phrase that he uses there that he really sort of mirrors again in verse 39. All these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. And so I really believe that he's pointing here with these statements in 39 and 40 to all of these, both named and unnamed heroes of the faith from chapter 11. But he makes this statement that they were commended through their faith. One of the focal points of chapter 11 is is how God's people gained their approval from God. I made this statement in the very first part of this series, the very first Sunday of January, from Faith That Glorifies. We don't often think about God testifying about us, but that's what commendation means. It means God is giving witness, God is giving testimony to those who have great faith and walk by that great faith and live by that great faith. 
If you were to have somebody give a good report about the job that you do to maybe your superior or to someone else, or if you put them down as a reference and they wrote a glowing report uh, of how good of a, a worker you were, an employee you were, or uh, if someone were to give good testimony about you to somebody else, about your behavior and your character and your honesty and loyalty and trustworthiness and so on and so forth, that would be commending you. And these great heroes from chapter 11, named and unnamed, found their commendation by their faith. And their commendation was what God said about them. And we gain God's testimony about us by our faith and specifically the way we live in that faith. What we see throughout Hebrews and really the entire Bible is for those who live by faith, earthly life may or may not go smoothly. If you will start with verse 32 with me, I want to see how the author contrasts these two situations. He says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail for me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. And then he makes a very distinct change. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release, that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. What the author does here is he says, don't get in your mind, don't get it twisted, that only those of great faith have easy lives. Don't believe that only those of great faith have a life on earth that is full of comfort. Yes, there are some who achieve and see great moments of victory. There are some who achieve and see great moments of God's deliverance. But there are others who saw nothing but suffering. And even to the point of death. And you must ask. We must ask. How do we know which is chosen for us? We don't. You and I do not know what is chosen for us. Which is why we must prepare ourselves for either scenario at any given time on this earth. This past week, those of you who keep up with such things may have seen that uh, Chris Mack lost his job at the University of Louisville as a basketball coach. And Kentucky's coach, John Calipari, was talking about, was asked about it, and he made this statement. He said, the reality is we're all, meaning college basketball coaches, we're all 30 days from bankruptcy. Now, Cal came under fire for that because if you know what college coaches make, you know that they're not very close to bankruptcy. But the point he was trying to make was that as a college coach, he recognizes and Chris Mack recognizes and they all recognize in that brotherhood of coaching that they're just 30 days from being kicked out. And in a very real way, we should also say to ourselves, we're just 30 days from suffering if we're in the midst of victory right now. Or we're just 30 days from victory if we're in the midst of suffering. 
or 60 days or a year or five years or 10 years. Because the point is not for us to know how earthly life will go, but how we will go through earthly life. And the challenge of Hebrews 11 is that we will go through it by great faith in God. And when he describes these people in verses 32 through 38, again in verse 39, he then says this, again, I believe pointing back to all of these people in Hebrews 11. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. Certainly some received earthly promises. Abraham and Sarah did receive Isaac. Israel did receive the promised land. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did receive the promise of deliverance from fire, although what they said to the king was, even if God does not save us, we will still be faithful to him. So what was promised that they did not receive? The promise was Jesus. It might be better understood as the promise of the Messiah or the promise of the anointed one or the promise of Christ, but the promise that had been given to them that there would be this one who would come, this one from the line of David, this one who would come as king, this one who would set up God's kingdom, this one who would do all the things they anticipated as Jewish people, that they would come. They did not receive the promise in the same way that you and I have. When was the Messiah first mentioned? Most point to 2 Samuel 7. When this, uh, this statement is made that from the household of David will come this king that will reign forever. Some point all the way back to Genesis 3, 15 in God's conversation with the serpent where he makes the statement, he shall bruise your, your head. And Paul picks up on that in Romans 16, 20 when he tells the Roman church, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. So some go all the way back to Genesis 3 that this Messiah was known to come. We have this really, really interesting piece in John's gospel in John 8. And the scenario that's going on in John 8 is these Jewish people and Jewish leaders who, who believed that their sole faith in Abraham, who believed that the only way that God really approved of them was that they were direct descendants of Abraham. And Jesus, as he's teaching, makes this statement in John 8, 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. Now, how did Abraham... See the day of Jesus. Well, I believe the scripture paints it out in this fashion as an, as an option. In Genesis 18, three men appear to Abraham. One of which is called the Lord. The Hebrew word Yahweh. In Exodus 3, when Moses asks God, when the people of Israel come to me and say, who's telling you to do all this? God says, tell them, I am who I am. Yahweh. And so here in John 8, you ask, how did Abraham know of Jesus? If you turned it to John 8, follow along with me. If you didn't, just listen. Your father Abraham rejoiced he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. And the Jews said to him, you are not yet 50 years old, and have you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. 
these Old Testament heroes of faith, long before the prophets ever came around, long before the prophetic messages from Isaiah and Micah and others about this birth of the Messiah, they knew of the Christ. They knew of the anointed one and they longed for him to come and they knew God was going to bring them something better. Better than the land they would receive, better than their comfort and their prosperity, and in some cases even better than earthly life at all. But the writer of Hebrews makes it clear. All these, he says, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised. So how does... How does Jesus saved them. Well, he saved them the same way he saves you and me, by grace through faith. Romans 5.1, therefore, since we have been justified, made right before God, declared not guilty before God, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith, not your own doing, the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. 1 Peter 1, 20 and 21, as he's writing about the blood of Christ and the way that we have saved and ransomed by this blood of Christ, says this, He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but made manifest, made visible in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, that your faith and hope are in God. Jesus saved these great heroes of old by their faith. Though they did not receive the promise, though they did not see his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, he saved them in the same way he saves all people, and that is through grace by faith. This is the way Paul writes about it in Romans 4. Beginning verse 16, that is why it, salvation, the promise, depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to those who adhere to the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations. He goes on to say in verse 22 and following, that is why his faith, Abraham's faith, was counted to him as righteousness. Catch that. His faith was credited to him as righteousness before God. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. For it will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, delivered up for our trespasses, raised for our justification. This is what the author means when he says in verse 40, after saying that they did not receive what was promised, he says this, Since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. That the Old Testament saint and the New Testament saint would not be saved by two different ways. That the Old Testament saint and the New Testament saint would solely be saved by Jesus. By faith. By faith in what he had done. By faith in who he was. By faith in the, in the message of grace and the gospel. And it was not until the appointed time of Jesus could the Old Testament hero's faith be credited to them as righteousness. It took the cross 
of Jesus Christ to credit their faith to them as righteousness. It was not until the appointed time of Jesus could any who came after him be made righteous without faith before, because it is the cross then moving forward for all who would believe who would save them. He says in verse 40, God had provided something better for us and that better thing of faith is Jesus. It is Jesus. And with the cross and the resurrection of Jesus, we begin the period of the last days. Oh, there, there may be some last days within the last days. But when Jesus came and was born and lived and said throughout the Gospels, the kingdom of God is near, the kingdom of God is at hand, the kingdom of God is upon you, he was saying, I've now inaugurated this process of God's final act in God's great plan of redemption that the kingdom is here. And since Jesus ascended to heaven after his resurrection, all of history now points to the final culmination of that plan. And as such... There's enormous privilege and enormous responsibility to live in these last days by virtue of the cross of Jesus Christ. Those great heroes from chapter 11 uh, and all who even weren't mentioned lived by faith in a promise yet unseen. We're now called to live in faith by a promise that we have seen. Well, you might not have seen Jesus, but you've seen evidence of him. You've seen the impact of him. You've seen the impact of that powerful early church that dared to risk it all for Jesus. You've seen impact of the long-standing truth of the gospel that calls both sinner and saint still today to the necessity of repentance and grace and faith and trusting that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life and would live in such a way that we bring glory and honor to him. If your faith is the same faith as the heroes from chapter 11, their faith was in a God who had made a promise, who they did not get to see, but yet still saved them. Our faith is looking backwards to that promise, but looking to that same God. If this is your faith, privilege and responsibility of living today are great. The privilege of faith in Jesus who is seen and the responsibility of those who live for the mission of Jesus is to be along his mission alone. And that is the reconciliation of man to God through Jesus Christ and through his gospel. His mission is ours. We must not be detoured from it or deviate from it. We live, as Habakkuk said, the righteous by faith. Thanks for listening. If you have any thoughts, questions, or prayer concerns, please email us at pvcfrankfurt at gmail.com.